Video we'd like for you to watch and then a few words from our director of children's ministry, Luann Byerly. Our trek to Everest. Climbing Mount Everest requires training and eating the right food to prepare for your adventure. After all, you've got to fuel up for all that exercise. Your climb may involve some work and unexpected surprises, but you'll learn to rely on your climbing team each and every day, every step of the way. Gear up for the life-changing adventure of a lifetime. Thank you. We are all excited about this year's Vacation Bible School. Last year we had 135 kids, and this year we hope to have just as many, if not more. But we couldn't put on Vacation Bible School without your help. We're going to be passing around some uh, a clipboards here that have many different things that if you would be willing to contribute, everything from plastic cups to paint, uh, to help us have everything we need to put our Vacation Bible School on. We would also love to have you volunteer, and there's a place on there you can check if you're interested in doing that. Uh, we will also be giving all of our kids a CD, just like we did in the past. And what we are going to do is, if you're uh, willing to, you can put $5 in our bucket. We have a bucket in our, uh, at our table that's over here by the chapel, and we will have that up all month. That you can put $5 donation, and that'll pay for one CD. So I'd like to introduce to you Climber, our snow leopard, who will be with us at Vacation Bible School. He will be moving to the glass double doors after our services today. And if you are, uh, would like to, or any of your kids, you can come and stick your head in there and get a picture taken with Climber so you're ready for Vacation Bible School. And if you're on Instagram, we'd like you to do uh, tag it with hashtag Marian Methodist VBS, and we'll send it out to the world about our Vacation Bible School that we're going to have. Anybody you see with this shirt on is one of our directors, and they'll be happy to answer any questions you may have about us. We hope to uh, get you all involved in our Vacation Bible School. You can register your children or grandchildren or friends or neighbors on www.marionmethodist.org, and we hope that you will keep us in your prayers as we put this all together. So... Let's plan on having a great week. Thank you. Because I, I believe that uh, when things come, as, come to us as a community um, and things that come like came to us this week in the, in, in, uh, the, the murder, it is what it is, of, of Lindsay Donald, it's important for the Church of Jesus Christ to step into those things. And I will tell you, on, on behalf of the entire staff of the church, uh, you stepped into it wonderfully. If, if you had been here um, Friday night, you saw our hospitality team in, in a mode of welcoming people to, that are broken and hurting to our church. And, and I encourage you to, to even think about joining them. Uh, you saw a worship service, a, a band that was here, a tech team that was there that was just proclaiming God's word. And you saw a, a, a church that was seeking to hold its community in its hand. <clears throat> and for that, I'm proud of you. And I give you thanks and I praise the Lord because when the worst of times comes to humanity, the best of all creation, which is Christ's church, needs to step into that. And so well done. Uh, well done indeed. 
Pastor Keith and I earlier this week were, were having a discussion and, and we thought, said to each other, what, what should we come to the congregation with this week? And, and after a few moments, we said, why not John, right? <laughs> why not the gospel of John? He has such great uh, giving to our hearts and soul. And so we continue it. That's a joke to those of you that are uh, new here. We've been preaching John since the first of this year, and we're going to preach it. Matter of fact, we're going to preach it all of this year. Uh, so get your minds around it. John chapter 5 begins as follows, and Pastor Keith's going to come in a moment and, and share with you a wonderful sermon that I heard earlier today. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida. And, or Bethesda, and which is covered, surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat. And walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who healed, who was healed, had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse will happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus. Who had made him well. May God add his blessing to our understanding of the scripture. May we pray. Oh Lord God, Pastor Keith comes to us this morning as your man. And we ask Lord that when he opens his mouth, your words come out. And that they not just rest on our hearts and souls. But they motivate us and set our hearts ablaze for your work here in this world. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Jesus comes back and... and this man asks him to heal his son, and, and Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you, you will not believe. And then, of course, Jesus heals the man's son. And then we move into today's story of, of healing. And I think about that for a second, and, you know, I don't know if this was meant to be a harsh rebuke from Jesus to these people about, well, hey, you, you know, you need me to prove it to you, you need this, you need that, because I, I think that that he sympathizes with that because then he went ahead and healed, healed the man. And, and I look at that and I go, you know, that's me sometimes. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we, we need to see some kind of thing from God from time to time because it's hard to go through life and, and, and it's hard to, to have faith sometimes, especially when you see the evil in the world all around us. And of course, you know, the evil that's right down the street. And maybe even the evil that's right inside us. And oftentimes our prayers are brought to God and we just, we want to attach this thing to Jesus. Lord, show me something. God, show me something that, that I can know that you're there, that I can know that you're real. And 
you know, as Vicki and Mike talked about this week, I think sometimes God uses us to be that sign. He uses us to be that wonder. And he says, I'm trying to, you know, and, and my people are called to be my hands and feet. And I think that for, for, for us this week, I, I believe that God, that God used our church to be that sign to a world that, that needed to see that so they could believe in Jesus. And I'm, I'm proud to be part of this church, and I'm proud of our, of our uh, volunteers, and I'm proud of our pastor who stepped up. You know, this was a tough week for Mike, too. Was, you know, Mona was in the hospital, and things were going on for him. And, and, and uh, you know, he's going later today to do a funeral down in Fairfield, too. So, you know, he won't stand up and talk about all the hard work he does, but I can do that for him. And, and of course, Vicki as well, and, and many others. So I want to tell you, I, I, you know, this is a great church, and you already knew that, but when I was studying this text this week, God just kind of showed that to me again in a new way after everything that took place. Because the world is asking for, for, for Jesus sometimes, but they also throw that, that thing in there where it's like Jesus said, look, you need to see those signs sometimes and those wonders. They aren't always what we want them to be, but I believe if we, if we recognize them for what they are, God shows us himself in, in many ways. And, and of course, today in, in chapter five, we see another great story of a sign and a wonder from God and this, this healing of this man. And, you know, this is a, this is a great story in John chapter five of, of this, this poor guy who's stuck at this pool for 38 years needs healing and is trying to do this on his own for all these years. And of course, Jesus just simply asks him a very simple but important question, which we're going to get into this in a moment. He says, do you want to be made well? Now, of course, this guy wants to be made well, right? Or, or does he? See, he'd been laying there a very, very long time, paralyzed for 38 years. And instead of Jesus helping him to the water, like this man requested, and I'll explain to you what that's all about in just a moment, he simply tells him to stand up, take your mat, and walk, and miraculously the man does so. And now, here's where it's interesting to me as a pastor and worker in a church. You know, rather than being excited about this man's healing, the, the Jewish leaders, the church people, the religious people are barking at this guy because he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. So they're not excited about his healing at all. They're just disrupted because he's breaking, of course, their laws. And, you know, what this reveals to us is that oftentimes human beings can get more caught up in their understanding of God and theology and rules than, of course, ministry happening. So let's talk about this story. The Pool of Bethesda. You see a picture of it right there. And the reason why I wanted to show you this picture is because for, you know, about 1,900 years or so, this was thought to be a made-up story because people were convinced that the Pool of Bethesda wasn't a real thing or a real place. You know, the, the, the historical people and the scholars and all that kind of, kind of, you know, academic world looked at John's gospel. And they've been, they've been tearing, by the way, they've been tearing John's gospel apart forever because they're, they're convinced it's not real, that John wasn't the author of it, that it was written later and, and, and everything. But here's what's funny. In the 19th century archaeologists found it. And that, of course, changed the textbooks a little bit about whether John's gospel was real because it just so happens that when they uncovered this site, it was exactly the way John described it in the Bible. 
You know, and that, that, of course, that continues to happen throughout history. You know, the smart people will tell you, well, we know this about the Bible. We know that about the Bible. We know this couldn't have happened because this site wasn't real. That, and then, then as they do more digging, they do more research, they've always found the things in the Bible have been true. Isn't that amazing? I, I like to think we should just start there and then let, you know, science and archaeology be guided by that. But, of course, that would be too easy for us human beings. We have to know it all first and then be corrected by, by history and the Bible. So this pool, um, it, the name Bethesda has a dual meaning. There's, there's, two, there's two ways you can mean it. The, the most common way to understand that is that it means grace and mercy. But did you know it also has a meaning that is almost the exact opposite? It's also known as shame and disgrace which I think is very interesting given the history behind this pool and what took place there 2,000 years ago. You see, this was a place where the sick and the lame would gather because there was this belief, this, this superstition, this cultic idea that there was an angel that would come down and stir up these waters of this pool. And whoever the first, pers- what, the first person who was put into the water after this angel stirred the water would be healed of whatever disease or infirmity that they had. So this was the plan for healing. Go down by this pool and wait for however long it would take for this angel to stir up the waters and then hopefully you get to make it into the water and be the first one. Which is of course interesting because in your Bible, I don't know if you have your Bibles with you or look, but if you look in our pew Bibles even or you saw the, the, the scripture on the screen, you might have noticed something strange about this. If you look, there is a verse missing, and it's verse 4. If you look, John chapter 5, verse 4 isn't found in your Bibles. Actually, there's a little note there or a letter. And if you have an older Bible, if you have a King James Bible or an NASB, I believe, has this in there. Some of the uh, RSV might have it with um, a note next to it saying some of the older manuscripts don't have it. I want to talk to you about what this means because it's directly related to this idea. And, and here's what it says. You can see it. Here's, here's how the verse used to, uh, how this would have read. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, and they would wait for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, why are these verses missing? Why, why is that verse not in your Bible? I'm going to just get a little Bible nerdy on you for a second. The reason why it's not found in your Bible is because as archaeologists and scholars have, have dug up earlier manuscripts and more manuscripts, uh, they've discovered that the earliest versions of John don't have that verse in them. Or some of them have notes listed by the monks when they would handwrite the, the, the texts, and they would put a little note, and, and, and a note saying to the person who would copy, this doesn't belong in here, this was added later. And the reason why was because people wanted to understand what verse 7 was talking about when the man says to Jesus, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. If you don't know that, you don't understand what he's talking about. So just a little interesting, a little interesting fact because if we don't understand this guy's mindset, then we don't understand why Jesus talks to him the way he does. See, this was a guy who was stuck at this pool for 38 years. Now, I want you to let that sink in, 38 years. I mean, how many of us would wait 38 years for anything? 
Not too many. So Jesus arrives and assesses the situation, and then he asks him, of course, this ridiculous question, right, that it might appear, do you want to be made well? Well, what kind of question is this? Of course this guy wants to be made well, right? Why does Jesus ask this? Well, I want to ask a question too, and here's the question I want to throw out to you. Do you think some people do not want to be made well? Do you think some people do not want to be made well? You know, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I think that some people in life, some of us maybe even, have become so attached to whatever situation or problem or ailment or, or status that has overcome our lives, we've become so attached to it that it has defined our very identity. And maybe you know someone like this, or maybe you, you are someone like this, who when anyone new meets you, the first thing that you tell them or identify with them is your problem, is your issue, is your status as, as afflicted or something like that. That's just become so much a part of you that if you didn't have that, you don't know what you do. You don't know who you would be. You see, Jesus' question is spot on for this guy because he wants to challenge this man. See, here's a guy who has done the same thing about his problem for 38 years with no success. No success. No results. And he obviously has no hope. And there he sits And according to this man, if you read the text, the problem is with other people. The problem's with everybody else. See, when Jesus asks him, do you want to be made well? He doesn't say, well, of course I do. How do I be made well? What can I do? The first thing he says is, well, no one here will carry me down. Nobody else will do this for me. The problem in my life is that I have no one else to fix me. No one will put me in the pool when the waters are stirred. Now, I don't know about you, but that rings true in my life sometimes because I've met a lot of people who live in that world, and I've lived in that world sometimes. Maybe you have too. You can relate to me. A world where the problems that we face, we don't want to take responsibility for them at all. We'd rather look at our situation and blame everyone else or wish someone else would fix them. See, this man had given up. How many of you have given up? How many of us have given up? How many of us have lived in the place where we keep doing the same thing about a problem, which might even be to do nothing, but wait for everyone else around us to change or everything else around us to change? How many of us have given up? How many of us have become paralyzed in our problems to the point where we just lay there and wallow in them. I know that's a harsh word for some of us. This is where we are in this text. And for some of us, we feel like it can't get any better because no one else is changing around me. This is the mindset that Jesus is confronting when he asked this man this question. He's not talking to him about his problem with his legs. He's talking to him about a problem with his heart and about a problem with his mind, about a problem that's going on inside him. 
Do you really want to be made well? He's saying. And I'd ask us that same question. Do you really want to be made well? What about that relationship that you have a constant struggle in? Do you really want it to be made well? What about that problem that you're having in your career or your finances or your grades? I got kids coming to the next couple services. I got, you know, right in there. I'll confront that sometimes. It's my teacher's fault, Dad. Right? I've said that. Sometimes, I mean, let's face it. Sometimes the problems that we identify with most around us, we, we can become trained, especially as a society, to look around and say, well, the problem's not with me. It's with society. It's with everybody else. It's with the government. It's with my boss. It's with my church. It's with this. It's with that. It's all, and Jesus shows up and he says, I'm not here to talk about that. I don't care about that stupid pool. Do you want to be made well? That's the question. Because you've got to start there. And anybody who's ever done any kind of, of trying to help anybody or counseling or giving advice, if you know that person you're talking to doesn't really want to be well, then you're just wasting your time, aren't you? Some of you have been in that situation where you've tried to help somebody with something. And every offer, every suggestion you offer, every good piece of wisdom you offer, every life experience you offer, every solution you offer is met with resistance. Well, that won't work. Well, that's too hard. Well, I can't do that. Well, that's impossible. You just don't understand. That's the mindset Jesus is confronting when he asks this guy this question. So Jesus doesn't debate with him. He doesn't do anything like that. He looks at the guy and simply offers the answer and says, well, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Just do something. Now notice that Jesus doesn't fix this guy according to his expectations, does he? He doesn't say, oh, well, well, I'm Jesus, so I'm going to do what you want me to do. You want to be put in that pool, so I will pick you up and carry you to your pool, and we'll wait together. Maybe I'll put in a good word with this angel up there, right? And when the water's stirred, you can be sure, buddy, I'll set you right in there. See, oftentimes Jesus' solutions to our problems are just too easy, aren't they? They're just too simple. That's what he does. He says, well, if you're, if you're tired of living this way and waiting for this thing to happen and waiting for this angel, just get up then. And here's what's awesome. Here's what's amazing. This guy believed that his answer was found in a pool <clears throat> But he learned that his answer was not found in a pool. He just simply did what Jesus said. Now, I think that's the real remarkable thing here. Now, of course, Jesus is remarkable, right? But, I mean, he's Jesus. We kind of expect him to do miracles, right? We expect him to heal people. I mean, we read about it every week. That's just what Jesus does. That's not something that we go, wow, maybe we should. But we go, yeah, that's Jesus. He heals people and does awesome stuff. But people that are stuck in 38 years of hopelessness and paralysis don't just get up like that. That's the remarkable thing. It's remarkable that this guy actually did what Jesus asked him to do. That he put his faith in the words of this man he didn't even know. He didn't know it was Jesus. He didn't know anything. 
Something changed in his heart. Something was transformed, not outside of him, but inside of him. And I wonder, when, when, he, when he heard that, what clicked inside him that he was able to believe and he began to rise to his feet? Did his legs hurt? Was it difficult? Did he even know how to stand? Was it painful? What was all of that like? <clears throat> I, I wonder. <clears throat> you see, the key, the key to this man's healing was found in his obedience to Jesus. But before this could happen... Before this could happen, he had to quit doing what he'd always done, which was nothing but sit and complain about everybody else. He had to change. He had to take ownership in what he was supposed to do. He had to believe that he could do what Jesus asked him to do. Now, so many people, let's face it, so many of us, we want things to be changed, but we want to dictate to God how they're supposed to change, don't we? We want to tell God our problems should go away, but God, here's how they need to go away. This person needs to do this. That person needs to have that. This thing needs to change. I need this situation to be different. This is what, and it's all got to be this. And sometimes God looks at us and says, okay, all that, do you really want to be made well? Then just get up, rise above that. Let the change start within you. Stop looking at everything else and start looking right here and then looking right at Jesus. See, Jesus heals the root of the problem, not just the situation. See, the root of the problem I've found is often found right inside here and right inside here. I had a, a guy that I worked with in this church years ago who, man, this guy had a lot of issues. He had a lot of problems. He, he had a, a serious brain injury that he'd never really fully healed from. He had flesh-eating bacteria. He had wounds that wouldn't heal. He had every kind of ailment and problem. He was about my age. He had all these kind of problems. He was on permanent disability. He, he lived alone in this rent-assisted apartment. It was, hor- it was just struggled his whole life with everything. And he was angry and bitter. <clears throat> and he would, when I was the new pastor, he, would, he just kind of came into my office one day and just camped out and said, all right, well, you're the new pastor, so I guess you get to hear all my problems. And he just unloaded on me for like 30 minutes. And I finally just said, okay, I've heard enough of this. And I, I, could, I could tell that this guy who had, he had no purpose in his life other than to complain about how bad his life was. And I said to him, but, but, and he had no friends because of course he pushed everybody away and very many people could handle being around this guy. Even at the church, it was, it was a tough situation. And I said to him, I said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. <clears throat> I'm gonna give you every Thursday morning from 10 to 11 at McDonald's. I'll meet you there. I found out he was a history kind of buff, so we were going to study church history together. I said, I'll meet you there every Thursday. I will be there. You come meet me there. We're going to hang out for 90 minutes or so and, and, and talk about this. But here's the rule. You can't complain about anything. You can't tell me how bad you hurt. You can't talk about how your mom's driving you crazy. You can't talk about, you know, any of your ailments, any of your problems, any of your diseases, any of your issues. And this, I mean, these things were real things in this guy's life. He wasn't just a hypochondriac. They were real. But I said, you can't talk about any of that with me anymore. And he looked at me like, I don't think any pastor's ever talked to me like that before. I said, well, I'm not a real pastor then. Whatever. Whatever. <coughs> said, okay. I didn't think he was going to show up, but you know what? He did. Week after week after week, we would get together. And it was amazing how as soon as this guy couldn't talk about all the garbage in his life, he had to talk about something else. 
right? As soon as he couldn't think about that, as soon as our relationship, as soon as he had any relationship that wasn't defined by all of his ailments, then he had to fill that space with something else. And it was amazing to see this guy's heart begin to be transformed. It was amazing to begin to see him begin to think about different things and and turn his focus off of himself. And we began to start talking about how he could, in his condition even, begin to serve other people. Man, it was awesome to see how he started to come alive a little bit when he found out that even with as bad as his life was, there were certain things he could do to help other people that, that lived nearby him. It was amazing. Now, he wasn't healed of any of his ailments. He still has to take medication. He still forgot where he was half the time. He still had wounds that wouldn't heal. All, none of those things changed, but his heart began to change. And it, it was a powerful experience. It was awesome. And it revealed to me, it's like, look, if you really want to be made well, there's lots of ways you could be made well, but that's just the beginning. And that's what we're going to see here. You know, so, so this guy's healed and, and he, and he's walking through the synagogue and the Jewish leaders come up to him and they start hassling him. And they're like, what do you think you're doing? It's the Sabbath. This is, you're not allowed to do this. Who did this? And his answer was, Hey, look, the guy who told me to get up and take your mat, he just, he, I did. So I'm doing what he says. Good, good idea, by the way. Follow Jesus, not humans. So they're, they're pretty ticked off. And they're just like, well, who was this? I don't know. Because Jesus wasn't walking around with like business cards and, and billboards. And hi, I'm Jesus. How you doing? You know, I mean, he wasn't on a campaign. He slips back into the crowd. <coughs> slips back into the crowd unnoticed. And it made me think, you know, these, these crazy leaders didn't celebrate the miracle because they're far more concerned with their rules about God than the work of God in people's lives. I say their rules because what they were talking about wasn't scriptural. Of course, the Sabbath exists and God has given us rules around that. But as Jesus would also get in trouble with these guys too, would tell them the Sabbath is a gift to people. It's for humans. And yet they had turned it into a burden, turned it into something that they could use to manipulate and control you know, and I think that that can still happen. It's, it's easy to turn gifts from God into burdensome rules that are used to control, manipulate. So another question for you is, is this. What are some ways that human beings put their rules about God ahead of ministry? You know, I mean, we can beat these Jewish guys up in the, in the, in the, the Pharisees in the Bible and just be like, hey, this, this. But let's face it, it still happens today, don't we? I mean... There's all sorts of ways that we do that. You know, we have what we call, you know, worship wars or, or different things where certain worship styles are, are bashed by other worship styles. If you like contemporary music, then you think that, you know, the traditional music is, is out of date. If you like traditional music, you think that contemporary music is, you know, not really worship. And, and there are people, I mean, just walk around. You see billions of churches out there because people turn their rules into ways to separate one another. People, you know, will argue about baptism and, well, should you sprinkle? Should you dunk? Should you, you know, do whatever? Should it be for babies? Should it be for adults? And there are whole worlds of, of separation over things like that. How do you take communion? Should you use real wine? Should you just use grape juice? Should you do, you know, rip and dip? Or should you, you know, have a different thing or whatever you want to do? I mean, people want to fight about stuff. When's Jesus coming back? End time stuff. What Bible translation should you use? People put up signs, you know, King James, it ain't King James, it ain't the Bible. You've seen that stuff going on, you know. I mean, there's no limit to how human beings will take what God has given us and turn it into some sort of way to be a weapon. 
what should have been our armor of life becomes like a sword against other people sometimes. And that's what took place here. You know, when we allow our interpretations and applications of the word of God to separate us and cause us to feel superior, because that's definitely going to be part of that. You don't separate yourself someone because you feel like, you know, you're not as good as they are. You separate yourself because, well, they're not as good as us, right? Contrast to that, look at, look at the ministry of Jesus. He, he knows the difference between man-made rules and the heart of God. And then lastly, of course, I want to talk about this. There are worse things than not being physically healed, apparently. Because when Jesus finds this guy in the temple... You know, he looks at him and he says, hey, you're well again. Now stop sinning so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Now, what could be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? What could be worse than that? Well, I don't know what sin Jesus was talking about specifically with this guy, but perhaps it was the sin of being hopeless. It was the sin of of waiting for some ridiculous thing to happen around him. Maybe it was the sin of taking his identity from his situation. Maybe it was the sin of giving up and wasting who God had made him to be. You know, maybe for some of us here, it's the same situation. Maybe for some of us, it's time to be done with our self-pity and paralysis. It's time to take Jesus at his word. It's time to pick up our mats and walk. You know, this wouldn't be a sermon if I didn't ask you to look in your own heart at where maybe you feel like this guy, where maybe there's a situation in your life where you've just been sitting there waiting for the world to change, unwilling to do anything about it yourself. Maybe there's a situation in your life where you've given up all hope or you've given up any kind of solution and you just resigned yourself to the fact that there's no hope. And no one can help you. Let me tell you something. There is someone who can help you. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he might not fix your situation the way you're convinced it needs to be fixed. He might just simply call you to get out of it. He might just simply tell you, well, then stand up and walk. You might have a situation that you feel is too far gone. He might just say to you, well, then it's time for you to overcome it. The remarkable thing isn't that Jesus calls you to do it because that's his job. The remarkable thing is when we do it. And I think that's what he's calling us to do here today. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for the reality, Lord, that you know so much better than we do. And God, we ask that you would just open our hearts today and show us where there might be situations or issues where we take our identity not from the gospel or from who you say we are but lord from the problems of our lives god we want our identity to come not from anywhere else but from you so lord i pray that there would be people here who would hear your voice calling out to them who would simply get up and walk and then sin no more because lord we know that you have so much for us, God. And God, please condemn us, Lord, in our hearts if we've ever acted like those Pharisees that we might turn and repent. Lord, allow us to celebrate the ministry, the healing, the transformation of hearts all around us. God, our desire is to serve you. 
and to be used by you to be, Lord, that sign and wonder that you use in this world to show people that you're real. It's in your awesome name that we pray. Amen. There are so many things to love about Marian Methodist. Um, My husband and I were originally drawn to this church years ago when our kids were younger because we'd heard about all of the programs that were available for children. Um, But once we stepped foot in this church for the first time, we were amazed by the the friendliness and the warm welcome we received from the people here. And we knew right away, right then, that this would be our church home. We're also blessed here at Marion Methodist with an amazing staff with caring pastors who preach from the scriptures every week and with talented musicians and our praise team who lead us in um, touching and uplifting music. Um, I truly look forward to worship every week and always feel God's presence here. I choose to give my gifts to Marian Methodist because, uh, simply put, I believe in the mission of this church, and I feel so blessed to be a part of it. I want to see the ministry of this church continue to grow so that others may experience this as well. My name is Melanie Donahue, and these are the reasons I choose to give to Marian Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping in this way? Will the ushers please come forward?